0: Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show.
1: All right, starting with the association. I hate to. I have to. Good news, though. You know me, I'm always looking for good news. The good news is Adam Silver apparently did take my advice. The Eastern Conference Finals did end last night. In fact, the only problem is they're still going to play another game. But make no mistake, that series is over. Miami is done. They're finished. No, Slam a fork into them. It's over. They've got nothing left. They're too They're too busted up. They're too broken down. They can't do anything at all. Like, Boston is banged up as well. They've got three key players dealing with injuries, and they're the healthy team in this series. Miami is so much worse off. And those of us who have to watch it all Are the most busted up of all. The question going into the series was always going to be can they get enough offense from people not named Jimmy Butler to be competitive? And the answer is no. And by the way, they're not getting enough from the guy named Jimmy Butler to be competitive either. He's clearly fighting through some pain, as is most of that roster. And because of that, they are inflicting incredible pain on the viewing public because that was brutal again last night. I mean, that's unwatchable. It just is. Serial ass is what functionally illiterate big head would call it. In this case, he would not be wrong. And I would like to take this moment to once again remind all of you how much better the NHL postseason is than the NBA postseason, especially right now. I mean, it's incredible to me how bad Adam Silver's postseason product is right now, especially Miami v. Boston. So, so bad. And don't tell me it's so bad it's good. It's just so bad. So wrong. So wrong and so bad that Joel Embiid jumped in on Twitter with, quote, Miami needs another star. End of quote. And if there was ever a tweet that was going to get a whole lot of wide-eye emojis, it was that one because... What's he saying? Is he stating a fact that we already know or is there a message within the message? Because everybody knows how much Joe loves Jimmy. How much Joe loves playing with Jimmy Butler. How much Jimmy loves Joe. They're both on record. They've made it really clear. So if Joel, a.k.a. Troel, is saying that Miami needs another star, is he just stating an obvious fact that we all know? Or is he saying, I'm a star, they need me, and by the way, I'd like to go there. I would like to be that star. I can help them. Who knows, right? Whether Joel is volunteering for that job or just pointing out a fact. Right? Let me make that very clear. Whether he is volunteering for that job or just merely pointing out a fact He is correct. Miami does need another star. Hell, they could use another good starter or even a decent role player because Kyle Lowry had zero points last night. Max Struess had zero buckets and four points. Miami's starting backcourt was 0 for 15 from the field. If that's not serial ass, what would you call it? 0 for 15 from the field. 0 for 12 from beyond the arc. Where's the good job, good effort kid when you need him? Horrible job. Even worse effort. Lowry and Struess have combined for one bucket in their last two games. One. They're hitting 3.6% of their shots in their last two games. I mean, that is hilarious. They're making 3.6% of their shots. I mean, not a bad GPA. Probably get you into Cal State Fullerton these days. Not a bad GPA, but a revolting field goal percentage. And it's not just Lowry and Strews. It's everybody. There was a 12-minute stretch last night where they made one shot as a team. One total. A team in the conference finals went through a 12-minute stretch, and they made one single shot. It was so bad that all Eric Spoelstra could do after the game was just laugh. Uh, okay, yeah, that's not a great three-point percentage. I mean, <laughs> we all felt it. We all saw it. That's why I want to be, like, uh, objective about it. You know, they did block a couple of our threes. And, look, they're a great defense. So it's not like we're going to score 130. Uh, what I'm looking at is are we getting shots – In our wheelhouse, uh, shots that are in our strength zones. And if we're missing some of those shots, you can't panic and just try to reinvent things. Uh, You know, I I know how ignitable our guys are. That can turn in a hurry, particularly on the road. (laughs) Of course, the guy's laughing. What else could he do? Except it's not the laugh of a guy who thinks that's funny. Because that's not funny. That's gallows humor right there. That's a guy laughing because he knows he's screwed. That's a guy laughing because he knows he's out of options. That's a guy laughing because he knows he's not going to get a damn thing from anybody there right now. That's why he's laughing. He's not laughing because it's funny, although it is funny, but that's not why he's laughing. Just don't tell me they're starting backcourt making 3.6% of their shots over two games in the postseason isn't funny. Because it is. Just know that he doesn't think so. In fact, when you get right down to it, it, it is funny on paper, but not with eyeballs. I mean, the fact that we're being subjected to this ass night after night after night is starting to make me furious. I'm starting to take it personally. Believe me, if they did not pay me to watch it, there is no way in hell I would. Watching anything else would be better than watching this ass that they keep running out there and putting in front of me. Think of the worst show ever. It's still better than this show. Not this show. This show is awesome. Their show, I mean. This is not the Kyle Lowry they thought they were getting when they brought him in. This guy is injured. He's not that dynamo. He's not that leader they thought they were getting. Instead, he gave them zero points, one rebound, three turnovers, and five fouls. How many things are wrong with those ratios? No points, one board, three turnovers, five fouls. Yeah, and I know what you're thinking. Rome, you can't judge a point guard on his scoring. Look at his playmaking ability. Look at the way he moves the rock. Look at his assists. Look at those dimes. Look at how he's setting everybody else up. Look at how he's making everybody else better. All right. Why don't we take a look? Hmm. Assists. Yeah. Correction. I'll look for the assists because he had zero. None. Zero points. Zero assists. Three turnovers. Five fouls. I'll tell you what. I love Kyle Lowry. I do. Always have. That is some kind of stat line. No points. No assists, three turnovers, and five fouls. I love this guy, but right now, he is a drain and not a spigot. Benching him would bench the Lowry. Dude, Kyle, you should bench this all too, bro. Benching, just kidding. Benching him would be addition by subtraction because whoever you put out there cannot be any worse than he is right now. And again, it's not an indictment of the guy. It's not an indictment of the guy as a person. It's not an indictment of the guy as a player. Credit to him for trying to get out there and Willis read this thing. It's just not happening at all. His hamstring is jacked up, and he's jacking up the rest of the team. But it's not all him. I mean, a lot of it's him, but it's not all him. His bad hammy is not making Max a worse shooter, at least not directly. But Strews can't hit a thing. Zero made shots in two games. Zero point. Zero. That is not easy to do. No made shots in two games. Again, you got to get this guy the hell out of there. And you know what? Do it for me. Do it for me. For the sport of basketball. Do it for me. Do it for the sport of basketball. Because this backcourt is making a mockery of the sport. And they're doing it in prime time. Get this guy a tennis racket. You want to know why Eric Spolester is one of the best coaches around? And how about this? You want to know why that guy... I can remember when they brought him up. Like, hey, dude, weren't you just cutting tape? Weren't you the video game coordinator or something like that? Th- that guy's going to be in the Hall of Fame. That guy's a great coach. A great coach. He's going to the Hall of Fame. And you know why? He has somehow managed to find a way to win two games in this series... Dealing with a hand of absolute crap. Play the hand you're dealt. He's playing a hand of crap. And still has won two games. And despite everybody in heat gear sucking last night, they still led at halftime. They led by five at halftime. Which would tell you a little bit about how the Celtics were playing. So what happened? They come out in the second half. Grant Williams starts instead of Robert Williams. Huh. There's been some pretty whack rotational things going on in the postseason, right? So exactly what was that about? Changing strategy, throwing Miami a different look. Well, according to Ime Aduku, the Time Lord, quote,
2: He just got an extra stretch at halftime. Kind of uncommon, but um, when he was going to come out, he just wanted extra stretch and give him a little more time and went with Grant to start the third.
1: Is that what you're going with, Coach? Is that what that was? He just needed to stretch a little. He came out of halftime, and it's uncommon, and he just needed an extra stretch. Is that what you're going with? Well, let's not let's get into that just yet. yet. Because Grant Williams said that's not what that was. That's not the case. Yo, gee. Exactly what was that all about? Grant, you started the third quarter in place of Rob. Was that by design? <laughs> no. Uh, he was <laughs> in the bathroom, I think. So uh,
2: I just say I'm, I'm good to go. Throw me in there. And we started off the quarter right. So we made what will fit. And then Rob came back in. And I think seven-minute mark, six-minute mark. So just there to have his back.
1: Oh, you just had his back. You were just there to have his back. What, by running him in front of the growler bus? You had it? <laughs> <laughs> you had his back by running him in front of the growler bus. Yeah, I'm sure Rob is fired up that you went with that. Couldn't go with the company line. Couldn't go with what the coach said. Yeah, thank you for airing that out, Grant. I'm pretty sure Time Lord was really pleased that you did not stick with the company line of he just needed extra time to stretch. Nah, he was in the bathroom. He was handling his business in the bathroom. He was in the bathroom, I think, so. You know what Grant should have done? Hey, Alvin, can you grow up? Maybe. Can you stop making kids and grow up? What he should have done, Grant, he should have just said to the studio, he should have looked into the camera and started to direct and produce the studio and should have directed them to cut to a shot of Lamar Jackson's awkward run back to the locker room. Awkward. Or he should have just said, nah, 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 nah. My man was not stretching. My man was looking to free up a growler. It happens. Happens to us all. Happens to us all. So I don't know if Rob needed to stretch or Rob needed to hit the cabeza. But I do know he had a couple of runs to start the third. They're going through Miami like bleep through a goose. And speaking of great flushes, how about this from Jalen Brown? Jalen Brown inside the paint. Right hand slam. He sailed right by a bio and Jimmy Butler, and as soon as the heat had a little glimpse of hope, a little ray of sunshine, Jalen Brown made it dark. Ooh, the fireman just came in and put it out. I'll tell you something. Again, per usual, I have not been giving myself enough credit, but this is why I'm a member of the Radio Hall of Fame. I'm getting literally 15 minutes out of one of the worst games ever. Who can do that? Me? This guy? I'm not even sure what the best part of that sequence was. The dunk, the reaction from the Celtics bench, or the reaction from Pat Riley and Alonzo Mourning. Shout out to whoever was directing that game last night for that incredible cut to Riles and Zoe, because it was flawless. There is some genius directing, cutting to two of the most miserable people in the entire world in that moment. They really were. Even more miserable than the rest of us who had to watch it. Never mind a pinch of poop in his ice cream. Riles looked as if somebody took a full on dump into a cone and just served it to him. Or the
3: poop in our ice cream.
1: <laughs> Zoe pretty much looked like the rest of us have been looking and feeling and acting since we were made to watch this absolutely inferior product. So the good news is this the series is in fact over. The bad news is we have to wait until tomorrow for that to become official and sit through another one of these games. I'd like to think that's the same face that Alonzo made when I asked him, when I had the audacity to ask him a non-national kidney month question. In that moment, Pat had to be thinking, Man, did I really give Dunk 90 mil? Did I blow another 90 mil? on a chubby guy whose body fat percentage is like triple his shooting percentage or 10 times can I slip into Joel's DMs before Jalen's feet touch the ground those were two miserable looking dudes man that was incredible and like I said I gotta pat myself on the back freaking 17 minutes of talking about something that was like three hours of ass let's talk investing for a minute and how confusing things can get when people start throwing around terms like altcoin shilling meme stocks and the like with all that jargon flying around it can be hard to figure out how to start investing so whether you're eager to get started with investing or you already know the ropes and you want to diversify your portfolio sofi has your back let me tell you what i like about sofi No commissions on trading stocks and ETFs. No account fees or hidden fees either. You can use fractional shares that start as low as $5 to buy brand name stocks, even if you don't have a couple of grand lying around. And complimentary financial planners are ready to help you out with any questions, whether you're stuck on where to start or you need help deciding on what to do next. So what you should do is get hands on with active investing or let's SoFi's number one ranked automated investing tool take the stress out of building and managing a diversified portfolio by doing it for you. And then on top of that, you can explore the world of cryptocurrency right alongside the rest of your investments. 30 available coins include Bitcoin, Ethereum, Dogecoin and more. So, cut through the jargon and make investing easier with SoFi. Visit sofi.com/rome and learn how you can win up to $1,000 in stock when you open up an account. That's sofi.com/rome. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities LLC, member FINRA/SIPC. All investments involve risk, including the loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results or future performance. Alan Lazard is my guest. Alan, great to have you back. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show, Jim.
1: Always good to I have you. It. Always good to have you, and I appreciate it, too. I want to get into your preparation for the season in a moment, but first off, how is the off season going so far, and are you approaching it any differently this time around?
0: Uh, I am. I am. But first, I want to say, um, with the tragedy that happened in, in Texas the other day, I just want to give my condolences and my thoughts and prayers to the community and those families out there that were affected by everything that had happened. But yeah, this off season, um, you know, for the most part, which is kind of ironically, you know, the past two years, obviously we've been going through a tragedy and uh, um, with the pandemic and everything. But I think with all of that, the past few years not allowing us to have the OTAs and have the traditional off season, we had to be creative and, you know, still be able to maintain our being in shape and our skills and everything. So with that, the past two years, you know, I've been able to take what I've done the past two years and implement it into this off season. And then, and then some with, you know, obviously the restrictions and mandates being lifted and everything, it's been able to move around a little bit more and I've been able to focus on my career a little bit better.
1: I'm Lazar joining us. Really interesting, right? You have to adapt. You got to be creative. You have to deal with certain things, and then on top of that, you're coming off the best year of your career. And you know there's going to be more opportunities than ever before. So, what does that do to your mindset and your fire and your motivation? Does that stoke that flame or that fire even more, knowing what's in front of you?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I think you know, really, I go into the every year the same way. You know, viewing it the same way. Doesn't, doesn't matter who. I'm playing for it, doesn't matter what other 10 guys are out there on the field, that I need to go out there and be the best version of myself and at the top of my game um, so I can go out there and perform at a high level and help my team lead them to victory and everything. So obviously very excited for the opportunity um, presented coming this fall and everything, and hopefully we'll be able to – do it the right way and be able to bring the Lombardi trophy back to Green Bay this year.
1: Alan Lazard is my guest. We talk about this all the time, but I understand what you're saying. It's you against you, no matter who you play for, no matter who you go up against. You're really always competing against yourself. You're trying to be the best version of yourself. But when you look at the team, the team did trade Devontae Adams. The team did move or let Marquez Valdez-Scantling leave in free agency. What was your reaction to those two moves? And then how do you think that's going to impact your role coming into the season?
0: yeah I think it definitely put me into a, a bigger role. Um, obviously losing those two guys who are elite at what they do especially the best um, wide receiver in the game I would say so losing those two guys um, obviously is detrimental but you know there's no time to to sit in our sorrows or anything and we still have the standard and expectation that the Green Bay Packers will forever live on of bringing that Lombardi trophy back so with that comes more of a responsibility on my plate and to me it's nothing new you know I feel like I've dealt with a lot of adversity a lot of challenges throughout my entire career from high school to college and to getting into the NFL and then being able to sustain my career to where it is now with the Green Bay Packers so Like I said earlier, I'm I'm more than excited for the opportunity that will be presented this fall for me.
1: Alan Lazard's joining us, no doubt about that. You've overcome quite a bit to get where you are right now. I also love the way you approach this. For instance, you're a real physical presence in the run game. Matt LaFleur has gone as far as to refer to you as, quote, a goon and an enforcer in the run game. How much of being a leader as a receiver is about imposing your presence and your will in the run game?
0: Uh, 100%. You know, I think... We always say, especially in our offense, um, Coach Stenevich always like to say, the the run sets up the pass. So the more that we're able to pound them in the run game, be able to get those four or five-yard gains consistently, will only open up the back end of the field when we want to pass the ball. So understanding that um, is really kind of where my mindset's always been from early in my career of knowing my physical presence can wear these guys down, not only physically but mentally as well, and then you, you see – we are able to set up the pass that way with play action and um, to be able to kind of misguide them with our emotions and everything to open up the the back end of the field for a wide receiver.
1: Packers wide receiver Alan Lazard is my guest. You and I have talked in the past about the chemistry that you have with Aaron Rodgers. I've also spoken with Aaron about the chemistry he has with you. How would you describe the connection the two of you have on the field? How important is that relationship?
0: Oh, it's huge. It's huge. You know, the game of football, it's such a – sporadic thing you know we can run the same play 10 different times and get 10 different results every single time you just never know what's going to happen so having that chemistry having that connection on the field of understanding of what the other player especially in the wide receiver um quarterback relationship of understanding what the quarterback's wanting and what he sees and just find that connection it can turn a uh you know a second and seven into a third and one or you know potentially a first down in an explosive play so just being able to build on our rapport that we've had and be able to keep advancing it, you know, I think will lead to really great historical things this year.
1: You know, he also talks about the fact that when there's a 50-50 ball, he knows you're coming down with it. How much of that in your mind is skill, and then how much of that is will?
0: Um, I say 50-50, honestly. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of it really is will, um, but it's the will to be able to apply your skill and to be able to adapt at any certain moment of, oh, the ball's a little bit far behind me. I got to make the adjustment, even though the DB's grabbing and tugging on my jersey. I still got to fight through it because I don't know that that referee's going to throw that flag to be able to to bail me out in the situation. And with Aaron, because he requires such a high standard of expectation, that you know those fifty-fifty balls need to be a hundred-zero. Because if you want to get that ball again, you have got to show that you want it and that you're not going to allow the DB to make a play. You know, you see the his. Obviously, the big statistic around him is his PD to interception ratio. And he takes a lot of pride in that. And I think as a receiver room, we take a lot of pride in that as well. And it goes hand in hand. So working with him, continuing that expectation and that standard of what it means um, for that ball to be able to, for him to even look your way, for even to even throw it is one thing. But so the times that you do get able, um, that you're able for him to throw you the ball, you got to make the most of it.
1: Oh yeah, I love that sound so much. That sound really does make me smile because it is the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start running and grow your business. Shopify gives entrepreneurs the resources that were once reserved for big business. So upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and in-person sales, and effortlessly stay informed. Scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. And I love how Shopify has the tools and the resources that make it easy for any business to succeed from down the street to around the globe. What I'm saying is Shopify powers over millions of businesses from first sale to full scale. Reach customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and more. More than a store, Shopify grows with you. This is possibility powered by Shopify. What you want to do is go to shopify.com rome roam, all lowercase, and get a free 14-day trial and find out for yourself. Get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash R-O-M-E right now, shopify.com Rome. Alan Lazard is joining me for a few more moments. We talked about the fact that he lost a couple of elite receivers. Was there any point in the offseason that you were concerned that Aaron might leave or retire or did you always know in the back of your mind that he's coming back?
0: Um, there's, there's, there's a little contemplation just because, especially in this life, especially the past few years, you just never know what's going to happen. Um, but getting to know him over the past few years, knowing his competitive nature, knowing how much the Green Bay community and organization means to him and his personal relationship and also his legacy of his career, um, I knew that there was just a lot of um, – Things that we haven't accomplished yet and a lot of things that he still wants to do to solidify his career and everything. And so I was pretty confident that he'd be, he'd be coming back, especially coming off of back-to-back MVP years. Um, you know, I know he's going for that 3 P this year, and I'm more than excited to help him
1: achieve that. All right, so before you go, really quickly, you and I have talked in the past about the at-the-top mindset and the philosophy before – when you have a season like the one you just had and then it ends up the way that it did with a tough, tough loss at home, how did you go about processing that? How does that fit into the at-the-top mindset? How do you work through that?
0: Yeah, you just have to digest it. You know, I think life throws different adversities, um, different challenges at you in ways that you don't expect it. You know, I, as well as I'm pretty sure a lot of my teammates and fans, people in the organization, expected us to be able to make it to the Super Bowl and win it. And rightfully so. And so when you get – when the season has an abrupt end like that, especially the way that it did with the game that we had, it hurts. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's either you use that you use that fuel to motivate you or, it, or you use it to distract you and to, and to get you away from your goals and your, and your pursuit of happiness. And for me, you know, that game hasn't left my mind since that day. Whenever it was, January – 14th, 15th, I couldn't call it, but, you know, just reliving those plays, watching the game again, understanding on how much of a high expectation, how much of a standard, how hard you have to work in the off season, and continue that into training camp, into the season, to be able to get a, a great spot in the playoffs. And then all of that goes out the window because you have to win those three games or win those two games just to get to the Super Bowl. So of just knowing that you have to perform at a high level when the time matters the most. It's really the the at-the-top mindset and be able to overcome adversity and to keep pushing yourself for greatness. Hmm,
1: I like it. One last thought. You had a really funny post, I thought, on Instagram a few weeks back. You wrote, quote, To be honest, Madden pisses me off so much, but I can't lie. (laughs) Playing as yourself on a video game versus your best friend at a Nike store is pretty bleeping dope, end of quote. Mm -hmm. So I like that. What is it, though, about Madden that pisses you off? Do they not give you enough respect in the game? What is it?
0: Um, no, it's not necessarily that, you know, I mean, for me in my career, I, when I got to college, you know, as a kid, all you do is dream about playing as yourself in a video game. So when I got to college is when they discontinued NCAA. So I was heartbroken for that. So I was like, all right, well, I got to wait another three, four years before I'm in Madden. And obviously going undrafted and all that stuff, you know, delayed that process even more. But really what I meant by that is that when I played Madden as a kid, I was really good. I was really good. I enjoyed the game. I played all the time. But I haven't played Madden in quite a few years just because life, you know, other interests and and whatnot. So now that I play Madden, I'm not I'm the old head now, not knowing the buttons, not knowing the audibles and everything to be able to get the game to do what I want it to do because I could physically do it, so how are you gonna tell me that I can't do it in a video game? (laughs)
1: That's great.
0: So that's really what the the frustration and the um the um yeah this is where the frustration starts and begins with is, is from there, but like i said it was that was a, such an unbelievable experience and really a humbling moment you know it's like not many people can do that, and especially where I did it at the Nike store on a on a huge flat screen, and you know they paid for me to come there and do that, and so it was just a, a very humbling uh, moment for me and and my friend as well.
1: That's a great story. He's a wide receiver with the Packers, coming off a big year of 40 receptions, eight touchdowns, career highs in receptions, yards, and TDs. And again, Green Bay opening up at Minnesota on September 11th. Alan Lazard, my guest. Alan, I appreciate you. Always good to have you on the show. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jim. All of With prices soaring at the pump, Discover has your back with cash back. Use Discover to earn 5% cash back at gas stations and Target now through June on up to $1,500 in purchases when you activate. We know every dollar matters right now, but you can count on us. Get up to $75 cash back this quarter with Discover a card. Limitations do apply. Learn more at discover.com slash rewards, discover.com slash rewards. From the biggest event on the jungle calendar, Smack off 28 is June 24th. Now we are only 19 shows away, 29 days away, only 19 shows. I think I need one of those shows off. So technically 18 shows. I'm telling you right now, that's not a lot of time. We're already chasing. We're chasing hard. What that means to you is the big push is on. It's been on. It's time to get calling. It's time to RSVP. It's time to rip a golden ticket. It's time to clear your calendar and make plans for the big day. In other words, it's freaking go time. It's go time. It also means it's time for you to start sending in your prediction videos. That's right. Smack off prediction videos are back we're gonna run that back so if you've got a take on who is gonna rip the crown this year send us a quick video we will play it on our tv simulcast the obvious disclaimer though no profanity no vulgarity no porn no nudity no drugs no idiocy no porn no sex It's for CBS Daytime TV, folks. Pretty simple ask. Just make a prediction in 15 seconds or less. Try to film it horizontally, horizontally, if you can. And then send it over to smackoffvideos at gmail.com. Smackoffvideos at gmail.com. And if it's good and it's tasteful and it's right, we will get it on TV. Also, crunch time. In Smack Off season means player profiles. Tuesday, we got them rolling with the polarizing pooch, Paul's dog, AKA the new jungle lightning rod. However, today we are back to our human participants. In fact, today we are profiling one of the most dangerous yet underhyped clones, underrated clones in the jungle, a heavy hitter from my home away from home, because today we are going to break down and talk about Benny in Wisco. Benny burst onto the jungle scene over the past five years, the past five smack-offs, after first breaking through back in 2017 by somehow ripping a golden ticket with cheese and rat puns.
2: It doesn't matter, Jim. I am ready to crumble. I will sink my incisors into I afraidy until he becomes I have rabies. Let me know if I got that rodent ticket and let me know when I can start growing that sweet, sweet smack off rat tail out the back of my head. I'll take your thoughts off, Greer, bud. Rat me.
1: All right. the thing is, since that call, Benny, and it was clever, and it was different, but since that call, he's made an all-time pivot. The thing I really like about Benny is that he has reinvented into one of the single most vicious callers to the program. As our resident Canadian contenders learned the hard way.
2: Your grill looks like your parents flipped a coin when you were a baby. Heads was to give you a pacifier, and tails was to take turns firing slap shots at your gums. And tails never failed. Now, Matt and Van went on record and told all 17 listeners of his podcast that he had me slotted as this year's sophomore slump for the smack off. You could double where I finished last year, and you'd still be looking up at me. And I'll bet you 5,000 pine cones that you'll be looking up at me again. Slump these, Maddie. And finally, Tyler, can you please make an attempt to pronounce the letter D when you try to say Edmonton? It's not pronounced Emmonton. Nobody knows where the hell Emmonton is. The only explanation can be that your little speech quirk translates to your personal life, where you're not very good at putting the D into anything.
1: Whoa. As a reminder, can we not have every single call be about the D? Anyway, what that was was a major step up from Grier Smack, from Rat Smack. And it's not just the Canadians that Benny was coming for. Benny swings up. Benny actually swings down. Benny just lets them hands go, and everybody eats fist. Even the old man in the back row got a taste of that on his first day as a member of the XR4TI. Hey,
2: a quick shout-out to the new bald guy, Vin Weasel, behind the glass. Uh, Congrats on the new gig. Now, I can't see behind the table, but does the studio allow for enough room for your wheelchair, Professor X? I heard someone refer to you as Michael Stipe earlier. That's not really fair or nice, but it is good to have some new shiny, happy people on staff, isn't it? And uh, I have no idea what your name is, but between your chrome dome and your department store brand outfit, you should probably change it to Michael Jordash, (laughs)
1: Like Benny. Benny turned into a bad man, dude. Benny got dirty. Benny got filthy. Benny got nasty. Third-degree burns like that are exactly how Benny has managed to string together five top ten finishes in the last five events. In fact, he's never finished worse than seventh. And he did hit the podium with a third-place finish for this call back in 2020.
2: Rick and Buffalo, you look like Rhea Perlman shaved her head I always thought the reason Rick screamed throughout his calls was because he couldn't figure out how to turn off the caps lock when he typed his script, but as it turns out, it's because Rick is four foot 11. When Rick makes his calls from the local payphone, he's got to knock the receiver off the hook with a broom and scream at the top of his lungs at it while it's swinging above his head in order for anyone to hear him. "Rick, you're shorter than Kyle in Green Bay's life expectancy." People like to tear into Brad for not talking sports, but Brad told me he played water polo in college which I guess is technically a sport, but let's face it. Water polo is your parents saying, we hate you, but it's not legal to kill you. So instead, they barrel-tossed little Bradley into the deep end at age five and forced him to tread water while getting kicked and punched by all the other spoiled brats whose parents have had enough.
1: You see what I mean? He'll swing down at Ritt and then punch up at the BIC. And then he'll let his hands go on everybody else in between. There was even more carnage in last year's event when Benny finished fourth.
2: By the way, I haven't heard this much Pat Beverly talk since Stevie Carbone got fired from his volunteer gig at the nursing home for getting too handsy. Basically, they told him not to Pat Beverly anymore, Jim. But Brad and left laying waste to one another is fine. It's just played out and tired. Almost as tired as Jeff and Richmond gets after standing up from the plastic chair in his shower. Almost as tired as Brad's lack of sports knowledge and or takes. Brad thinks a wet jumper is what happens when he gets caught in a rainstorm and his outfit gets soaked. The only frozen rope Brad has been a part of was when he made a deposit at the sperm bank. Oh, excuse me, my bad.
1: (laughs) Benny is clever. Benny's got lines. And Benny did, in fact, come out of nowhere in the jungle and put together a seriously impressive body of work. Quickly. I mean, I would say relatively new in a sense, but it feels like he's been around here forever, which is very high praise, and it's high praise that he has absolutely earned.
2: Jim, you had to dump Matt's call, but that's all right. He cleans up dumps for a living. Based on what I've heard or not heard from the rest of the field, it's going to be an easy job. Even easier a job than the guy who tested Owen Wilson and Patrick Ewing for COVID. Or Jeff in Richmond pulling up to Pottery Barn for a massage because his dyslexic ass accidentally googled rug and tub. I know we're not supposed to talk about sex during our calls this year, but can I still mention the nachos on Caleb's bedpost? Rome, when did you and the selection committee expand the smack-off to a field of 68-year-olds? As Mike and Indy would probably say, it's still called the smack-off, not the Gandalf. I know that you must flee. But soon I know you will see, it was meant to be, and Naj was meant to poo. And, and I have no idea what the hell Jeff in Southfield talks about when he calls in. I mean, does Jeff just look around his apartment and write a script based on what he sees? Softball, bacon bits, medium-sized cat turd. Hey, Jeff Passan, your call was the Brandy Chastain plaque of smack-off calls, all distorted, poorly crafted, and in dire need of being melted down and reconstructed. And when your mom asks you how your phone call to the Jim Rome show went, you say, Mom, it was like a smuggled heroin balloon at an airport. Wrecked Listen up. Don't call in. You guys are terrible. Mice up, son. Mice up. To my competitors, I hope you have some gravy prepared because you're goose cooked.
1: I mean, it's incredible. It's incredible. I'd even say this. Like, if I've said that the BIC is the GOAT, and he is, and that's the one standard you're all aiming for, I think that when it comes to one-liners, actual one-liners, it's hard for anybody in the history of this program, BIC included, anybody. I don't know that anybody can hang with Benny when it comes to throwing off one-liners. The question is, can he string it all together on the same day, in the same call, beginning to end. And I'm not even saying that he's only good for one line, but I'm saying for one-liners, there has never been anybody better in the history of the show than that guy. Benny and Wisco. Five events, five top tens, four top fives, once on the podium, And the only thing left to prove, can he summit the mountain and snag the 5 gur? Can he finish? Is this the year? You hear that. You hear that player profile. You can't tell me he does not have the game and the ability to get it done at some point. He's got enough game. He's got enough talent. Is this the year? So I want your thoughts on that. Weigh in on that. Secondarily, if I'm not mistaken, tomorrow, there's been some rumblings. Sources tell me that Stucknut may, in fact, have his odds. Stucknut always has smack-off odds. He may have them. I always go back to this, and especially now. Now that gambling is legal in so many states, and there's so many sites, there really was a time back in the day where a site or two had action on the smack-off. Legitimate action. Legitimate action where you could bet it. I don't know who's doing it or not. I don't know if my pals at DraftKings want any part of that. I don't know if somebody else will pick up on that. But it's a thing, right? It's once a year. It trends on Twitter. And there has been actual action at betting houses on the smack-off. So we'll see. But I know that there are unofficial odds. Stucknut will have them. And they're usually pretty close to what they should be. And guys generally play to their odds but I'm still looking for new people, new blood, new meat, new participants. A female would be nice, two females would be better. Alvin, how's that promo coming, by the way?
2: Ding. Trade pros, whether you specialize in service or new construction, Ferguson knows firsthand how much work goes into a long day on the job, which is why we're committed to offering the products and solutions to get every job done right. With over a thousand locations, an unmatched selection of specialty products, tools, and supplies, our pro pickup and same or next day delivery, you can trust that doing business with Ferguson will be the easiest part of your hard day's work. Visit ferguson.com to find a counter location near you.
1: John Cooper is my guest. John, it's so good to have you back. How are you? Uh,
3: Great, thanks. Yeah, it's good to have a little bit of a break right now, actually.
1: I was going to ask you just about that break. The team was back on the ice and you had a two-day break. How did everybody look and feel to be back on the ice after a little bit of a rest? Did it help?
3: Well, I I think it's going to. You know, it's always, it's hard. I've always, you know, my coaching career, you know, fortunate to have some success in in the last few years here. But, you know, I've been swept twice, but never been on the good end of a sweep. So this is a little different for us to have this much of a break in the playoffs. Uh, But if there was ever a playoff year, we needed it. It's it's this one, and you know, it's it's a for me to sit back and you don't want your guys like that much of a layoff. But we're pretty banged up group right now, uh, so the time's going to help. But it's there's always that double-edged sword to sit here and say, well, you're going to take you guys out of the fight, and no matter what you do in practice, it's never going to replicate what's going on in the intensity of an NHL playoff game, and so you kind of worry about that part. But you know, for us, like I said. Um getting back and, and going through a good little workout today and waiting to see who we're playing is uh, is better than sitting on the sidelines and not having anybody to play you know, for the rest of the summer. So we'll take it.
1: John Cooper joining us. I would imagine John is head coach. That might concern you. But then again, when you've got as many guys in your room that have been through it already, that's got to mm-hmm. help too. As an example, Alex Cloren said, quote, and I mentioned you guys have won 10 straight series. He said, quote, 12 sounds better, right? And I bring that up because the team has been attacking the playoffs and attacking each series like they've never won anything before. At least that's how it looks to me. How would you explain a team with guys who have won multiple Cups having in that attitude mindset of having not won anything before?
3: Yeah, it's impressive with this group. And and I, I think, you know, you look at teams and championships, and you know especially in hockey, Pittsburgh did it. Uh, you know, about 15 years ago, one back to backs, but it really hasn't happened, especially three since the early 80s with the Islanders, that special group they had. And I think sometimes it's probably human nature. It take it's so hard just to win one cup, which we found out because we've knocked on the door forever, and then finally won in 2020. You know, to to come back because it, you know, human nature says, oh, it's easy just to say, oh, okay, well, our name's on the cup, and you know, if we don't push through this last one here, we did it last year, and we'll come back again, and I look at, you know, Chicago in the early, you know, like a decade ago, they won three cups, but they never won them back to back. And LA won two, but didn't do it back to back. And, and it's hard. And I think there's a, there's a mental aspect to it um, that with our group and, and it's not to say other groups haven't tried. I, I don't want anybody to ever say that because everybody's always trying to win a cup, but they've kind of latched on to this, you know, how long is this team going to be together? Like how long is our window? And, not, you know, having to wait for our window to open and now, you know, if there's you know, our group's getting older not letting this slide because we're not gonna be able to turn back time. And I, I this you know, our veteran leadership group has really instilled that, whether it's to you know, the Perrys and Belmars that came in start of the year, to the Hagels and Paul's that came in at the trade deadline, there's a there's everybody's pulling in the right direction, but for this one common goal and I got to give those, you know, it's all the players. I got to give them credit. They've uh, really have a really good mindset going into, uh, you know, these last couple of years.
1: We're talking to John Cooper. It seems to me, I get that, John, but it seems to me also there is a culture, there's a mindset and an individual mindset, but then a collective culture. As an example, Panthers coach Andrew Burnett talked about how you guys just know how to win. And then he points out that Steven Stamkos was out there blocking shots and willing everybody to win. Stamkos has said that he and other guys are motivated to win for their new teammate, teammates who have not won a Stanley Cup yet. So, like, how would you describe that culture and that commitment and the tone that the leader set for everybody else?
3: Yeah, it, and it doesn't happen overnight. And I guess that's probably the thing I want people to understand. Like, we look – you know, we – when we first came on board, our group, and then we had the, the young core, and we went to the finals in 2015, it was kind of out of nowhere. And we had all these young guys from the American League. We'd won all one together. And, you know, in the end, in, in 2015, I always say this, I think Chicago kind of just out us in the end. And so it was a learning experience. And then we go to the conference final in 2016, losing Game 7. 2018, conference final, losing Game 7. 2019, we have the all-world team and 62 wins and all that stuff and get swept. I mean, there's a lot of heartache that goes into there. That we, and you're like, wow, are we, are we doing the right thing? And we just believed in it. And I think it was, a huge part was you know, management. Everybody, we're all collectively in this together. We kept the team. We kept the group together. Uh, but it, I, I do believe a lot of the culture and the things we instilled, if we kept knocking at the door, it was going to pay off. And you know, f- fortunately for us, it did. And um, but it was sticking to what we had and not blowing up what potentially could have been with a knee jerk reaction and to, to change our team. And so we're paying the dividends now, but it does. You're right. It, there was a lot of what we instilled early is paying off today.
1: We're having another great conversation with John Cooper, as we always do. So, John, I had NHL great Ken Danico on the show yesterday. We were talking about Scott Niedermeyer and what made him special. I bring that up because Corey Perry was asked recently if Nikita Kucherov reminds him of anybody, and he said the closest he could think of was Niedermeyer, which is elite company. In your opinion, what sets Kucherov apart from everybody else in your book? For instance, is it physical talent or maybe is it IQ and vision?
3: Well, it's it, to be that great. You have to have it all, and so I think there's players that have probably had talent like Cooch that haven't had the success because they don't have the drive, or they don't have they don't put in that extra time. And it, the reason you are talked about in such a elite because you've been able to figure out every part of the game, what works for you, what works um, against you how you can, because he's not the biggest guy on the ice. As a matter of fact, he's probably one of the smaller players, but he plays big. And I mean by that, he can go into a corner battle. And I'm a big believer in the game, you know, 50-50 pucks. If you can win your 50-50 battles and you have a team that wins those, you you have a really good chance. And guys, it's like the skill guys, well, can they win those? And sometimes you're not going to go in there and win that puck by bowling somebody over. You have to outthink the guy. And that's what Cooch can do. And he's just gifted in his ability to know exactly where everybody is before they know where he sees plays happen before they're going to happen. And you know, you look at that goal he scored the other night in game two with nine or the assist he set up. He knew exactly how that whole thing was going to play out. And even Ross Colton made the, the comment, when I saw it was 86 that was down there to make that pass, I knew I was getting it. And I don't know if you say that about every single player on our team or in the league, including guys on our team. And that's just he's effortless in how he plays, very much like Niedermeyer was. But he just he thinks it, but he backs it up with his with the way he competes on the ice. And it may not look like he's like skating as hard as he can. You know, I don't judge that on compete. It's like when you're in those battles, are you competing? And he does. And then he's just—he's got all that extra talent that just pushes him over the top. He's a—he's a special player.
1: So interesting, John. Like for instance, if he sees things that other guys can't see, is that something you can learn? Is that something you can teach? Is that something you can coach? Or are you just lucky and blessed to have that ability and you're wired that way?
3: I would love to sit here and say as a head coach of the team that yes, you can coach it, but I don't think you can. I think there, there's a reason guys are elite like that. It's because they see it. It's the Gretzkys of the world. It's those guys. That's why they're who they are. Can you help put guys in situations? Can we help like uh, replicate, okay, this happens, this happens, this happens, but you still have to execute it. I'm not the one out there executing. It's the player that has to do it. And some guys just do it more often than others. And that's where Kooch is
1: talking to John Cooper for another moment or so. So I want to ask you really quickly about Corey Perry. You and I spoke about him earlier this season and what he means to the team. You won game one against Florida and you knew they'd be coming out hot in game two, looking to make a statement. But early in that game, Perry delivered a huge blow to a Panthers defenseman. What message did that send to everybody else? And what has he meant to the team in this playoff run?
3: Well, there's always something about the players that have been around the block a little bit. And, and you know, Corey won a uh, Stanley Cup early in his career. And, you know, he's known as a guy that scored 50 and, and can put the puck in the net and can play in the power play. But he has changed his game to, as his career has gone on, understanding, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to play the big minutes all, all the time, but how can I make myself valuable? Is it being physical? Is it being a pest? Is it putting the puck in the net when asked for? Is it taking a hit to make a play? And those are all the things that Perry has done with us and then carried that on with, like, when you're that guy in the room, you work the way he does, and then you go out and do it. Like, it just, you know, the young guys have no choice but to follow. And he's just been an exemplary leader and gamer for us. And there's a reason he's this, you know, he's one series win away from going to three straight cup finals with three different teams. Like, I don't think it's a mistake or coincidence that that happens. You know what happens to guys that have the pedigree of Perry, and he just keeps doing it.
1: He is the head coach of the Tampa Bay Lightning. And by the way, John, you keep doing it too. Nine full seasons with the Lightning. Tampa Bay has gone back-to-back with the Stanley Cup, and they are, again, the second team to win back-to-back cups in the Salary Cup era. Get a little bit of time off, wait for the next round. John, I appreciate you. I appreciate the conversation. It is always great to have you on the show, John. Thanks so much for making time.
3: Appreciate it, Romy. Talk soon.
1: The Nets are still an issue. I need more time than I have right now because we're going to have to break, but I just want to get into this. If you look at the Nets and where they're at right now, why don't we start with this report from the Daily News? Quote, according to multiple sources, Kevin Durant and the Nets front office have not spoken since they were swept out of the first round. That's good stuff. Listen, I'm not saying that Durant and the Nets need to be talking on a regular basis. I'm not saying they need to be in a group chat. I'm not saying he's got to be huddling with management or having nightly Zoom calls. But don't you think it's just a little bit weird that Brooklyn went down in flames a month ago and they have not heard from Kevin Durant at all? A little weird, right? Especially given the influence that he has in that organization and the role that he wants. Again, I'm not saying that it's totally unusual that a superstar would unplug after a disastrous end to the season. I could see where that guy might want to get away for a little while, but hasn't had contact reportedly with the team at all. Like, if that report is out, here's something else. It's weird enough in and of itself, but even more so that we know about it. For instance, if we know about it, somebody leaked it. If that report is out, it would sure seem like sources on the net side want everybody to know that Durant is not speaking to the team. Or or sources on Durant's side want everybody to know that he doesn't want anything to do with them right now. And if he doesn't want anything to do with them right now, What makes anybody think that he's going to have any interest in having anything to do with them going forward? I mean, it has been a month. How much time do you need? Especially if you're an all-time great and you're a Hall of Famer and you are where you want to be and you want to make things better. How much time do you need? How much time do you have to unplug? And maybe he wants nothing to do with all of that. Maybe he wants nothing to do with everything else. And by everything else, I mean the Nets essentially telling Kyrie Irving to beat it. The Daily News reports the Nets are, quote, outright unwilling to give him a long-term extension. Outright unwilling to give him a long-term extension. To which I say, (laughs) (laughs) ha! That's an incredible statement. Like, I would need a Larry Mant laugh. A Tibbs laugh. A Shane Battier laugh. I would need all the laughs. combined. Kyrie wants to stay with the Nets. Oh, and have a say in what they do with ownership. And the Nets are saying, according to this report, nah, we're good. No, actually, what they're saying is, quote, they're outright unwilling to keep him around long-term. Not, not unwilling to extend him. Quote, outright unwilling to extend him. That is an incredible phrase. An incredible phrase to describe an incredible situation. I mean, I'm laughing at the Nets being, quote, outright unwilling to give Kyrie a long-term extension. I mean, how is that not just so hilarious to everybody? Like, this guy is so toxic in Brooklyn that not only are they unwilling to give him an extension, they're outright unwilling. What, unequivocally didn't want any of that? unequivocally, undoubtedly, outright, under no circumstances, willing to give him an extension. And you know what else is funny? KD not talking to the team and standing off to the side and watching the whole thing burn to the ground. Burning. And that's before we even get into James Harden's run with the team, which was about as long and successful as Magic Johnson's late-night talk show. And about as bad of an idea. I mean, if there was only (laughs) some way. If there was only some way to predict that this whole thing in Brooklyn was going to be a total disaster. Oh, wait. There was. There was some way. There was every way. All you had to do was look at the personalities that were assembled and you knew that it was destined for failure. But even I one of the more skeptical people of all, when it comes to KD and Kyrie joining forces, could have never predicted that it would have gone as badly as it went, that it would have been as awful as it was. Even I didn't see that coming. I don't know. I thought that getting the prickliest guy in the West and then matching him up with the prickliest guy in the Eastern Conference was risky. Like, I thought. I knew that. No way two guys with skin that thin egos that fragile, and personalities that unpleasant were going to be able to coexist for an extended run where they could stack rings and hang banners. I mean, how is that going to work? However, having said all that, I thought they had at least one run in them, at least a conference finals run in them. I mean, going to the finals was not out of the realm of possibility, but they didn't even do that. That crew got bounced in the first round twice and in the second round once. They managed to win exactly one playoff series together. So they're talking about championships and legacies. And so far, they've done jack. The Joe Harris-Spencer-Dinwiddie Nets were more fun to watch. And by the way, just as successful as a group. Actually, more successful because at least they won a game in their first-round series. And now this thing apparently is on the verge of a complete implosion. And the best part is there are no good answers. There are no easy fixes. There are no convenient answers. Kyrie is not going to take a short-term deal. Not with his injury history. He would be a fool to do that. But if you don't bring Kyrie back... Is KD going to want to stick around and play with Ben Simmons and a bunch of stiffs? Probably not. So what do you do? Do you keep Kyrie to make KD happy, knowing that the part-timer will really only be a part-timer? Do you pay this guy huge money for part-time appearances just to keep the other guy over there happy? Or do you move on from him? Because it's not like that twosome was good enough to even win a game in the first round this year. that's their issue my thing I don't want them to break this up I want them to keep this thing together re-sign Kyrie keep KD run it back but don't do it for yourselves don't do it for the results don't do it for each other don't even do it for your fans just do it for me do it for me do it for me and do it for comedy just get out that gas can and dump a bunch more gasoline and fuel on that dumpster fire to keep the rest of us warm. Do that. Do the right thing, but do it for me. Good night, night! No-